Back here live at the Waterfront Village with my friend, the zombie, Jonathan. You're looking good. Jonathan just got an awesome face paint job. What do you think? I like turtles. I like turtles. I like turtles. You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we are again on a Sunday afternoon, and this is episode 23. And once again, I hope you all remain safe and healthy. And I got to say, I'm a little slow in the uptake sometimes. I just realized this past week that on every podcast I listen to, the host echoes a similar sentiment to mine. And, and really, it's our opportunity to wish all the best to our listeners during a, a really difficult time. And I appreciate every one of you, and I hope, I hope that we can put this pandemic behind us soon. And here's a shout out to Jonathan, the zombie turtle kid, for that great intro. I think by now, Jonathan is probably all grown up, and uh, hopefully he still likes seeing his face on all those memes. Because I like turtles, too. I mean, who doesn't? All cuteness aside... Uh, turtles, they're a fascinating group, and there's just no end to their coolness. I mean, I mean, just for their adaptability alone. I mean, the way turtles have occupied so many different environments across our planet. I added some North American turtles to my life list this year, including the wood turtle, which it took me a while to see some. Uh, wood turtles are and remain my favorite turtle species, if one has to pick a favorite. And I also had a good time sneaking up on some map turtle species this year. And I can't wait to pick that up again next year. Which brings me to our guest this week, Carl Franklin, who is very passionate about our Kelonian buddies and is doing great work with Texas turtles. And of course, Texas has a large and diverse number of turtle species. Now, after the show, I want you to check out TexasTurtles.org, which is the nonprofit group that Carl works with. And it's centered on that stable three-legged tool of research, conservation, and outreach. And you don't need to be a Texan to get a cool t-shirt and help out Texas Turtles. Uh, Texas Turtles, the organization, and Texas Turtles for reals. And it's no surprise that I enjoyed talking to Carl, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. And tonight, it's my pleasure to talk with Carl Franklin. Welcome to the show, Carl. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. It's good to see you and talk to you. Uh, it's been a long time since we've had a conversation. Yeah, I think it was uh, back, uh, what, the 2014 Indianapolis, uh, the Midwest Herp Symposium? Yeah, I think that I think that's right. Yeah, so it's been a while. And uh, we had some nice conversations there, if I, as I recall. Oh, yeah, man. It was always good to get together with a bunch of nerds like that. <laughs> yeah, and that place was full of nerds. It was. Nerds, wasn't it? Wall-to-wall nerd there, <laughs> man. 
Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. And I, uh, I mentioned to the audience that uh, you, you sent me your CV, which uh, I always appreciate because I like to think about what we're going to talk about ahead of time and looking through this. And uh, you have been a busy man. I'm just going to say that. Well, idle hands are the devil's plaything. So, <laughs> yeah, I've been, uh, you know, looking back at it, I kind of, I kind of go, wow, I did do a few things, but yeah, I've been able to just keep plugging away. I'm just going to run through a, just a couple things for the for the uh, listening audience. Obviously, you ha- you have a, a bachelor's from uh, the University of Texas, Austin, Arlington. And you Arlington. I'm sorry, there you go. I said Austin. That's okay. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And for a long time, you were a uh, collections manager at the uh, at the UT of A and uh, biological collections manager. So you've got that, and you spent some time as a reptile keeper at two different zoos in Texas. You have you've been involved with turtle research in Texas for quite a while, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go along. And uh, your list of scientific publications is very impressive. And uh, some of those things, I got curious about some of those things. I have to look those up later. And uh, you're also the author of some popular books, including one of my favorite books, which is the uh, Complete North American Box Turtle. Really like that book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a fun one to work on. Was it? Oh, yeah. That happened, you know, Dave Kilpack and I started talking about doing something together regarding box turtles. And the first version of the book, was actually an interactive CD-ROM, and we were doomed as soon as we got out of the gate with that product. It was basically the text and everything and, and a lot of the images that are in the book, but it also had all these really cool features like videos that would play to demonstrate all these different aspects of behavior, natural history. And uh, it also had a fully searchable text where you could define terms and everything. The uh, things like distribution maps were interactive. And you could do layouts with uh, population centers, major climate trends, of course, with the species known distributions laid on top of that if you wanted to see basically everything that affects them. Uh, and the, But it was on CD-ROM. And at that time, CD-ROM was starting to fade out. And we thought, OK, let's go ahead and just do a straight book. And Bob Ashley said, yeah, that'd be a great idea. And it was something that with box turtles. I was always blown away. I just thought for years and years, you know, they were in the trade. They were super cheap animals. And uh, you could even go to flea markets and sometimes get them for five bucks, ten bucks a pop. And, uh, of course, they went up in price a little bit. Oh, wild-caught adults were, you know, about like a $30 animal for a long time. And it just seemed like there just wasn't many people that appreciated it. And I thought, man, these are cool animals. <laughs> and so that... Uh, was a lot of what got us kick-started into doing it. And uh, one of the things that we did with the book, and I, I think we expressed it in there, is it's been a while since I've read it, but it, was, it wasn't it was done to advocate the uh, commercial trade in turtles. Right. It was a thing where, you know, there's so many of these box turtles that get displaced, and something like an, a wayward aquatic species is a lot easier to repatriate back into the wild and so forth than box turtles. And we just recognized there'd be a need for uh, comprehensive husbandry information and such for box turtles. And boy, I tell you what, what we've, what we've learned since that book, that was 11 years ago when that came out, it's just been a lot 
a lot of new insight and uh, uh, things that I consider to be helpful advances with some of the aspects of the husbandry. So I don't know when a update to that will happen or if, and a lot of that kind of depends on the marketability of you know traditional books these days. Uh, right. So much of the stuff is online, and I got to tell you, you know, speaking of online. We're pretty active with Texas Turtles with social media and Facebook. Uh, even though I keep hearing the complaint that Facebook is for old people, I really <laughs> do like it because it has that searchable and archival type of, of stuff there. But with the social media, the cultural phenomenon that's happened is you get all these people that just want to be spoon fed information directly to them. And I got, it, it feels kind of crushing after you've written a book and <laughs> and yeah. magazine articles and everything and, and all that. And so with Texas Turtles, we're focused on uh, natural history aspects of it. And I think that that keeps that social media interesting and it's not talking about the same questions. What kind of filter? Right. What can I feed it? You know, and so right. it's been a it's been a real big boon for us. We've had. Well, we've I, had... I have to say, uh, just just for a moment about the the book. It, okay. It, there's also so many people that they go to the woods and they have a hike and they pick up a turtle and they take it home and it's a box turtle. And, and but you know, I'll collect commercial aspects of it aside. People do that everywhere, and yeah. where I grew up in St. Louis. Everybody had a box turtle in their basement. They would go for, you know, they'd go fishing in the country. They'd bring a box turtle home, put it in the basement to eat bugs. And, of course, the turtle might eat some <laughs> water bugs or whatever, but it's, you know, basically having a terrible, long, slow death in this, you know, in every uh, urban basement in, in the St. in St. Louis City and County. And, you know, I always thought that uh, books like that would help to do service to captive animals and people you know would realize right. that hey i'm not really doing anything right with these animals you know right right and and the other part too is that well you know uh speaking of your state reptile the box turtle three-toed box turtle in missouri we had we we used to also have i don't know about the current status of where you're at but here around dallas i mean the first turtle i caught i was three and it was a box turtle, <laughs> and uh, they were that common. You you would you would just see them all the time, and uh, I, you know it's one of those things where people just obviously took it for granted as well. But there is that intrinsic part of us that wants to hold on to things. I think it comes from a healthy origin of biophilia, and 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 it's healthy in a way. You know, you don't at least it has people hooked on something that's good and wholesome and connected to nature. So I'm trying to. Trying to look at the glass half full here view of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because right, well, what else can you do, really? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I really appreciate that book. And and I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing with Texas Turtles. So you've been involved with a number of what I would call monitoring of populations of, I think, probably, is it just aquatic turtles you've been working on? Or have you done most any terrestrial? Mostly aquatic. We've been involved by proxy with one box turtle study going on not too far from here where they're looking at the they're going to be looking at the efficacy of doing soft releases into places and they're doing some radio telemetry we haven't been directly involved but we've been advisors to the project for since the beginning but yeah the uh part of that is man it's 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 it's, it's a lot harder to find terrestrial birds than it is aquatic ones and so the other part of it too is that 
with the aquatic species diversity really outnumbers them, you know, significantly. And uh, part of that that's been fun for myself is appreciating new technology. Cameras that have high range lenses on them have allowed us to invade the private lives of turtles all over Texas. And this year we put on some of our observations on INAT and uh, we've got several more, but uh, we've got over 1,020 turtle observations on INAT just from Texas. And uh, seeing where the neat thing about that, that program is you can actually see a map and it lays out all the distribution dots. And right. whenever it populates our dots, it almost looks like the shape of Texas. So <laughs> we've been busy with that. And uh, one oh, of the things- Before we, we go further, give yeah. us an idea of where you are in Texas. I, sh- I should have done that in the beginning, but- I am in Grand Prairie, which is just west of Dallas. Okay. Dallas, okay, very we're, good. And so we're uh, right between Dallas and Arlington. Okay. So- Everybody Very knows good. Arlington with the NARBC show. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Texas Rangers. There you go. <laughs> uh, so tell me, uh, I want to talk some more about this. So you've been doing some, not only what would you call it, passive monitoring of turtles, but you've been doing some trapping and uh, marking and so on and so forth of uh, oh, yeah. aquatic species. Yeah, yeah, That started back in 2008 and uh, with trapping and marking. Uh, not with Texas turtles, but with some work that I was involved in. And, and so that was, that's where I started uh, with trapping and monitoring turtles. Then uh, I'd say that the, uh, one of the things we've been working with is of course, alligator snappers. And that it, the first alligator snapper, we started uh, working and, and assisting Eric Muncher down in Houston with the project that he's leading out there with alligator snappers. And the but he started that in around 2016, 2017. And 2012 was the first time that I had gone down to Houston to salvage a big giant dead AST. And I brought back this hulking leviathan of just filth and fetid rot <laughs> that weighed oh my- 35 pounds. And, oh my uh, gosh. Uh, yeah. So that got me excited about doing more. So um, explain to me how a 135-pound hulking mass of fetid flesh got you interested in doing more. <laughs> well, because I, I can't thought, let that oh, one go. And there's 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 these turtles are in downtown Houston, and wow. uh, and and you know around 2012 I was in I was involved in lots of other things. I was finishing up some other turtle surveys. I was having to conduct some field work in Mexico and just busy with work and stuff. And so that all just kept snowballing. And then late 2016, Eric Muncher and Jordan Gray just decided to throw some traps in just for what the hey. And uh, they caught a couple of ASTs. And that following January, I went down there and helped them out. And then soon the crew started all showing up. and. We started trapping up here in uh, Arlington, in the Trinity River. And so we've got a population up here that we've been working with. And that, that right, I tell you what, man, I've traveled a lot. <laughs> and I've, I've, I've traveled a lot and everything. And I, I, I've enjoyed it, seen a lot of stuff. But whenever your study site is five miles from the house, and you've got, <laughs> you've got, these, you've got this big apex predator 
living there that no one else has ever bothered to study or look at or anything like that. How can you, I don't want to, I don't want to go back to the travel now. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm yeah. happy. Love it. Uh, so I mean, it, uh, there's hardly a more enigmatic creature in North America than. Right. Than, the, the Paul Bunyan of North uh, of the Western hemisphere turtles right there, man. Yeah. So there's there's a lot that's going on in Texas with alligators snapping turtles. And one of the things, and I got to tie it back into the social media, that that has really, really helped us with connecting with lots of people who have been very generous and shared with us details on AST populations that they know of, natural history events that they observe. They uh, also have been uh, very, very helpful and generous. And uh, this past weekend, we just got, we received an invite uh, to come back to some property in a gated community that has a, a thriving reproducing population. And uh, so we're really excited to be uh, able to do that. Uh, the AST work, you know, you got this big charismatic animal that catches attention. And we were uh, approached last year by uh, Coyote Peterson and crew. And uh, they said, hey, we, you know, we're wanting to film out here and blah, blah, blah. And one thing, too, I'll just say is that uh, uh, Texas Turtles officially became a nonprofit organization last year. And and so we decided to just, and that's where my herpetological work rests entirely now. And mm -hmm. they, uh, they, you know, we've got uh, myself, Viviana Ricardez, and Sal Sibeta. And uh, so it's, I, I'm lucky to have those those two partners with it right there. Wouldn't be, we wouldn't be where we're at without them. And uh, so that's helped a lot. But it was just before Sal came on that we did the first work with Coyote. And, uh, you know, Viviana was kind of concerned. She said, man, you know, what if, what if the herp nerds hate us? And uh, I, I looked on his channel. I never watched a guy's show or anything. And I saw he had at the time 17 million subscribers. And I thought, golly, man, this guy's target audience is eight to 10 year old kids. 17 million subscribers, you know, talk about getting out, doing outreach and all. And uh, we went and did the episode and it was great. And uh, it wound up uh, really being a good windfall for our organization. We were able to get data on some uh, turtles at another really cool privately monitored and managed property that has a thriving population of ASTs on it. And the staff there and everything just love the turtles. So we're finding good news about ASTs in Texas. It's not all doom and gloom. It is very serious, though, because the biggest threat that we have facing these turtles in Texas is direct poaching. Ah. And uh, there was a case that was tried in all, oh, a few years ago. And uh, I just heard about it. And I went down and met with the special agents that worked this sting operation. There were a group of poachers from Sulphur, Louisiana, for a couple of years, I think, were coming over to Texas and uh, trapping ASTs and selling the meat and shells on the black market in Louisiana. And uh, they got busted and sent to prison. Uh, the, the, the frustrating part of it is that the sentence really wasn't that big. And it never is. It, it, it never, it never is. seems to be. So I, I, uh, I, can't I can't help to think that the, the responsibility isn't going to be us just resting upon uh, law enforcement to just do everything. But we got to let people know about these animals. And uh, the agents 
who uh, worked the case told me that these guys would brag about quantities of turtles in their trailer that they would have after trapping. And one story was that they approached a, a red light and whenever they hit the brakes, the weight of the trailer pushed the truck halfway into the intersection. And so they were hitting spots around Toledo Bend Reservoir on the Texas side. And the, the, the agents told me that they, they, they are very confident that they took hundreds of turtles. They found about oh my gosh. 60 turtles or so there. And so, you know, without going through all the uh, long details of that particular case, I just mentioned it because that is a current thing that happened. And that is a direct threat to uh, the turtles as far as their uh, yeah. longevity here in Texas. Uh, second to their direct threat being from poachers, incidental take and incidental kill. So far, I think every one of them that we've gotten that was dead and bloated that we found had a big giant catfish hook right in the throat. And uh, oh, really? We just we just put up a YouTube video last week. We've got a YouTube channel that we're just kind of starting to get off the ground now. And we we had one in which uh, we're doing phase one of skeletonization. We salvaged a forty eight pound female, and uh, from her size. I thought 48 pounds is a little less than what she should be. And, uh, you know, after all the flesh and organs were gone, we were able to find the line, the leader with a big catfish hook and a, a weight down in the throat. And so they either drowned that way or I don't know if it's secondary problems they have, but they sure we sure do see quite a few of them with hooks in the throat that are dead. So you just can't have the take. And I think they're that cool of an animal that we could get people excited about them. And, you know, you've got a, you've got a national treasure here. All of the states that have this, this turtle in their, in their range, it's a, it's something special to be proud of having. So the coyote doing the TV with him was a no brainer for me, man. And uh, that, that really got over with the AST. And we just did a, we just did a second episode that's going to be airing on his YouTube channel uh, here in about a week or two. So it also focuses on ASTs in Texas. But yeah, it's just been it's just been great. It's been exciting and kind of overwhelming at the same time. I think so. There's, and in, in the herb community, the uh, the the this uh, uh, Mr. Peterson is kind of a polarizing figure, as you probably no in some yeah. <laughs> in some respects and but but I'll shoot on that uh, but you think that it, when you know, I think he was you know respectful and, and and got what you were what you were doing and uh, understood I told Viviana here's what I told her I said look if this guy is a knucklehead you know we're not we didn't sign anything we're we're saving our face and we're getting out and uh like I said I didn't I didn't know him I I'd just seen like these these clickbait looking YouTube buttons that, that come up. And uh, yeah. I'll tell you this, I was, I was headed towards the direction of going into teaching. And so I started doing some substitute teaching while I was getting ready for that. And I was with grades K through 12. And, you know, when Mr. Franklin was seven, the rule of the day was that Mr. Franklin has a good day. So I would look for cool stuff to entertain the kids with. <laughs> and uh, schools filter out all kinds of stuff on the YouTube. And so the bite and sting stuff and all that was all gone. And it was the, the, the videos that were there were great. There's a huge 
body of his work that doesn't have that kind of sensational stuff to it. Okay. And I, I, I got to tell you this, too. I'll be honest with you. It was smart. He, he made a brilliant move, man. Seeing how these guys basically uh, put together a few buddies from college, put together a plan. And, you know, Steve Irwin was his biggest uh, hero. And one thing that's funny that a lot of the people in the Herp community might not be aware of these days is how much heat Steve Irwin got back in the day. And uh, oh sure, and, and oh so, sure. Like when I was at the zoo, I, I got ribbed by guys at the zoo because I watched Crocodile Hunter <laughs> talk about it at work. And uh, oh yeah, you know, yeah. And, and, and so Coyote, you know. So far, he hadn't dangled his child in front of a crocodile, but uh, <laughs> but now yeah. uh, I tell yeah. you, man, it's well. It's, if you know, if uh, with with the Irwin thing is, I don't know how many biologists, young biologists I've talked to, are there directly relates their decision to go into the sciences back to Steve Irwin. Right, he did that. Yeah, and he did it for thousands of kids. And then when he was gone, that niche kind of had a big hole in it. It did. And on the, uh, you know, because I've been working with with uh, Brave Wilderness crew and stuff, we've, we've been seeing a lot of their their social media and the, the hundreds of kids that dressed up like him for Halloween this year. And <laughs> whenever you got your target audience is eight to 10 years old, man, that's a. Uh, that's 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 good material right there. You could pull it off. Yeah. He wasn't one of these chingon kind of tough guys or anything like that. But boy, he's a wiry, scrappy little guy, and uh, he's about as tough as I've seen in the field. Mm-hmm. I, I I tell you, he's 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 the real deal. He and Mario, and they put together. A, I I think it's a great product they do, and frankly, getting uh, the Sting stuff to get him over into more popular pop culture awareness and all that, that was brilliant. It was, if you'd ask any Herber, would you get stung by these 10 things and you're going to be a millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's just a no brainer. I know there's, there's stuff that people bellyache about with sensationalism, but uh, I can't think of any moment in the medium where, you know, people say, Oh, well, Attenborough, well, this, this discussion is is for people who don't have a budget to wait a year for the guinea fowl to do its thing or right. whatever. Like, yeah, yeah there's, to- there's totally different. I mean, whenever we were kids, we had Marlon Perkins from the comfort of his office, and Jim was going out there and jumping on <laughs> ostriches and rhinos and crocodiles and everything. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. There, there was some theater there behind the scenes too but yeah marty uh, stauffer all all of those guys had you know behind the scenes oh man stauffer got hit hard they uh (laughs) started protesting his show because the intro credits had a i don't know if you remember that that scene where the cougar is running and it's slow motion and it takes a swipe at the rabbit and uh supposedly that was the source of the heat because they used a uh like they caught a rabbit and used a pet mountain lion to do that and so, oh. I mean, if you look at all the stuff that, that people get flack and slings and arrows for, it's hard to find anybody that, that doesn't come off like a like an angel, except for Attenborough, I guess. But <laughs> Right. <laughs> and still. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very true. Uh, it's a different world now these days. And, uh, 
yeah, I kind of get that too. It, you know, it, if you, like you say, you can wait around a year to, to try to get a shot of a cougar chasing a rabbit, you know, in, in the Tetons. <laughs> right. Or you can get your buddy's pet cougar and get it done. You know, too bad it wasn't. Same effect. Too bad it wasn't done in the era of uh, uh, animal enrichment philosophy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> they were just doing a oh. cat a favor. But uh, anyway, yeah. I don't want to digress too far from uh, <laughs> reptiles and amphibians. So, well, tell me about going back to the snapping turtles a bit. What is the. When when you started getting into that into the survey work with those, did you have a a big surprise? Was there something that just knocked you over about these turtles? Some um, aspect of their biology, or you know, I felt pretty stupid. I thought because I really liked it so much that I thought, geez, Louise, I've been doing you know twenty years of international work, and I could have been doing this all along. So, <laughs> uh, but the you know we've been getting good stuff like. We've, we've gotten so far a smattering of natural history notes that have been published regarding some cool behaviors. We had using an underwater drone while we were filming with uh, Brave Wilderness. We were able to watch a 100-pound male hold on to a basically a telephone pole size column underwater, hugging it with his, his hands and feet and uh, using his tail prehensilely wrapped around it to give it that extra support. And babies have been known to hold on to things with their tail. Holy cow. And, uh, and then seeing that like and 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 so well portrayed and stuff, you know, that was that was cool. The the other one that we got was a really cool defensive behavior. They're known to bite, <laughs> kick, scratch, all that stuff, flatulence, you name it. But uh the the coolest one is whenever, and this is something that you ought to be glad that they get really big. Because whenever they're young, up to about a year, maybe two years in age, if they're facing away from you and you startle them or apply stimulus, they will use their tail and swing their heads with enough force to where their body entirely leaves the surface, leaves the ground, and they spin around and they're instantly facing at you. They'll do a 180 in the air. And, uh, so they use the mass of their tail to cantilever their body while, in the opposite while, direction. While kind of snapping, lunging their head forward. And exactly. And it spins them around in a 180. And that was really good. And, no, and, if, and if you could try this at home. <laughs> or you could try it if you, if you visit and have an alligator snapper and turtle with you, a young one. You can, you can try it. To, uh, and what happened was is that Viviana wanted to just move the turtle for a photograph. And whenever she touched it, that was when it happened. And so then we were able to do it a few times. It got tired. And then we let it rest a little bit and did it some more. And we tried it with some other animals. And the biologists that are breeding alligator snappers at Tishomingo in Oklahoma, they told us, they said, man, we were just about to write that behavior up ourselves. <laughs> you know, So that's uh, that's a couple of cool behaviors right there. Well, I have to I have to tell you about my experience. Uh, of course, I don't I don't have alligator sap, alligator snapper experience, but I have plenty of experience with regular snappers. And uh, my daughter lives out in the country, about a half or forty five minutes away from me, and she had a small, maybe a, a six seven inch long snapper in a little a little pond on their property. So we went out there, and I th- and the snapper's name is Frank. And so I wanted to go out and see Frank. And 
and I walked out there and I've got my little flip blouse on and it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. And so I went into the pond, took my flip blouse off, went into the pond, got Frank behind uh, by the back legs and pulled him up, put him on the bank because my grandkids were there <laughs> and uh, wanted to show Frank uh, to the to the kids. And, uh, and I thought, well, I need to take a picture of it with my cell phone. So I reached down to turn Frank around a little bit so I could get a better shot of him. And he lunged at me and he was strong enough, but light enough that Frank left the ground and bit my hand. <laughs> and I had not known that snapping turtles could get air. I had no idea. And this thing, he, he got probably five, six inches off the ground. I thought my, I thought my hand was safe. Yeah. And man, he, he got me by the meat, you know, by the oh, meat of the man. palm there and <laughs> whoo, man. And uh, I was so shocked. I, I, and my, of course my grandkids were like, Wah! you know, they just lost their minds over that. And, you know, <laughs> grandpa got bit by a crazy grandpa got bit by a turtle, but uh, I just couldn't believe this flying snapping turtle. No. It just left the ground. I just, but it must've been just the size was strong enough where, it, but it's still light enough yeah. where it could do that. There's got to be a point where they hit that their growth, where the weight and the and the the mass, the mass and size just inhibit that. But you know, common yeah. snappers, uh, they they shouldn't be taken lightly. There was a case nope. in 1991, just east of Dallas, where a Domino's delivery driver was held up at a red light, and the uh, the assailant took out a common snapper and stuck it through his car window. And robbed him of about forty dollars, and and so the guy, <laughs> I, I I think that he was lazy. He could have carjacked him. I mean, just taking them and, and gotten pizza too. <laughs> yeah. So I the, the point in that man. That, that, so as uh, as entertaining of a story as it is, what I'm really curious about is what went through that guy's mind that used the snapping turtle to rob the guy. Was he just thinking one day, uh, you know, I can't, let's see, I lost my knife, can't afford a gun. I know. <laughs> That's right. Get Frank. I'll take Frank. But yeah, and, and something else we do with them is sometimes we'll hold them for a few days and see what they pass. We haven't gotten the stomach flushing technique down on alligator snappers yet that's kind of a challenging one right there and i think part of the challenge is that there where the where the uh, esophagus reaches the stomach is that there's about a 90 degree turn there of course the other one is is that you'd have to have something modified to go into their mouth so you could put a tube down and for those of you listening that don't know what stomach flushing is it's a uh, it's been used for years to vomit turtles and uh, it's a gentle stream of water that's used to fill up the stomach and then you hold the turtle upside down and what they freshly ate will come out. And that'll allow you to see things in better detail coming out that end of the turtle than after it's been processed and goes out the other. But uh, so far we've been dealing with what comes out the other and just the amount of seeds and nuts, fruit, grapes, vegetative material that they eat. That's, that's always the, the really cool thing. It, it's a good engagement story for folks to talk to them about, like, you know, they mentioned, oh, they eat a lot of fish. Yeah, well, I had one that uh, had a belly full of acorns before. So we're, we're, we're learning a lot. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and, and still able to have fun doing it. The other part of the turtle work that we've been doing, aside from uh, 
we, we just love doing it. And uh, we feel like Texas is our home and, and our domain. And so we like to do as much as we can. And for years, we've also been working with uh, some of the TSA programs that have been up here. And that's been a lot of fun. Right. Turtle, the, Survi- uh, turtle Survival uh, Alliance. Right? North American Freshwater Turtle Research Group, or NAFTURG. And so that's that's been a lot of good activity there and a great <laughs> been a really good network for us to meet a lot of our friends and everything. But uh, aside from those things, just going out and getting out and documenting, even if it's visual surveys that we're documenting with photography, all of the counties that have turtles in them and in Texas, as well as the uh, major river systems, the things like map turtles, the diverse the, the diversity of them in Texas is, is pretty good. but. Also, I believe we've got five species, and uh, but also the abundance that we've been finding of a lot of the map turtles in some of the places has been really surprising as well. So there's just, you know, it's just something that if you if you have an obsession and you go towards it, you, there's a good chance that you're going to have fun. <laughs> and and uh, so any little detail yeah. of it that works towards that contributes to that enjoyment. You can. Yeah, you can, you can. go deep, too. Yes. <laughs> I mean, literally and figuratively, you can go deep. <laughs> I was kind of curious, are all the map turtle species in Texas doing okay? Or are there species that are The one with the most restricted range or? is uh, listed as protected in Texas, and that's the Kegel's map turtle. That's, one of, that's, uh, that's an endemic species. We have two endemic right. map turtles in Texas, the, uh, the Texas map turtle and the Kegels. The biggest part of what challenges the Kegels is its limited range. And uh, those river systems that it's in, there's been, uh, there have been things that have affected it, like some dams that have been put up. And so there's concern of genetic fragment or, 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 you know, just sort of genetic distance between populations that has been caused. But the best thing that has happened with Texas turtle conservation in Texas is the end of the uh, uh, commercial collecting. For years, some people may not realize this, but for years, Texas was, I'd say, I know it was in the early 2000s up until up until 2007, there was a lot of turtles being caught in Texas and shipped overseas, either for the pet or food trade, I don't know. But the fact is, is that they were leaving our waters. And uh, there was one guy that was the primary businessman behind it. And what he did was he would go around and get a co-op of people and he'd go to sporting goods shows or stores and put on these little events and stuff. And people would pay him about $200, $250 each to be part of his co-op where he would buy back, buy turtles that they trapped. And so the numbers that he was shipping out of DFW International Airport was around 2,000 to 5,000 pounds a week. And uh, that was going on for quite a while. I don't oh know all the how many how many years that amount was going on, but uh, law enforcement was concerned because what do you do when you have five thousand pounds of turtles and they're making a legal declaration to export the, these animals, and you have to do an inspection and stuff, and then you have things like melanistic sliders, cooters with reticulate melanism. What if you had a map turtle or something that was in there as well? And, and of course, the biology of these animals, it, it is unsustainable to allow that type of, the science is very complete. The science is established on it. You cannot regulate turtles like you do white-tailed deer. And so it, it was ended. And uh, there were, 
at 2007, except for uh, four species, both soft shells, red-eared sliders, and common snapping turtles. And that all came to an end in 2018. So there is a way that, you know, oh, if, good. if people are serious and want to own a, a turtle, there's plenty of outlets for that. But, and in Texas, if someone wanted to collect their turtle, they just have to follow the law and get the appropriate non-game permit for that. But uh, yeah, you just can't afford to have that much going. And and what good is it doing? One guy is making bank right. and the rest of us are the poorer for it. So that was the best thing I think that's gone towards protection. And well, there might have been some pressure too because other states were in the aughts, a lot of states right. banned right. turtle exports. And I think that, you know, once you get a, a, enough states doing that, there's some pressure on the remaining states. There's there's increased press, pressure on their populations, and so they have to follow suit, or they'll you know they'll end up attracting all of, all of that business. Right now, there's one state that's still uh, the black hole for turtles, and that's Louisiana. Louisiana, yeah. And uh, they have a they have a law that allows citizens to take or kill one alligator snapping turtle per day, and uh, uh, part of the that's that's obvious how it's not a good thing, but the other outline factor of it is, is that that does create a climate where Louisiana can be a laundering state oh. for people to go and uh, take turtles from other states and move them there. So that's something I, I hope that Louisiana changes that law. Every every state that has alligator snapping turtles in it has, except for Louisiana, has a protection of some mm -hmm. sort. Mississippi had one that was, and I don't know if they changed it, but they had one where they allowed uh, a limited take of alligator snappers. And uh, I hope that that they just go ahead and end it. You know, it's a thing where, I got to be honest, I, I don't really get culturally sensitive. <laughs> and so when people say, well, it's my culture, my heritage, yeah, whatever, you know, there's Popeye's chicken down the road or... <laughs> You know, uh, and 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 why we know that these animals are not healthy to eat because the amount of mercury and everything oh, yeah. and, and uh, heavy metal contamination they can store. But I think that it's just something where right now, you know, we got a good chance at getting people aware of these turtles. There's never been, and you know this, uh, as back 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you wanted to get something out about an animal and uh, and especially a reptile. What platform did you have? You you were talking to like a pinpoint of people. Even this podcast is going to just reach a, a small number, but at least you can promote it and put it out there. Right. So I think that it's I, I, I'm I'm overall looking pretty positive that things will move more favorably towards the interest of alligator snapping turtles. And uh, I'm also equally enthusiastic that we're going to just be able to be a part of learning more about it as well. So. Yeah, it's not a bad time to be around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm running over in my mind the whole uh, acorn gut content thing. That's a, that's that's nuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nuts, but yeah, <laughs> that's nuts. <laughs> but you know, I mean, who'd have thunk? Right, right, right. They, uh, you know, they're big movers and shakers of the uh, of the aquatic ecosystem, and uh, most people don't ever see them. And you know, there's the occasional person that catches one and stuff. And yeah, but it's uh uh, they they do a lot more than just sit around on the bottom wiggling their tongue. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So I, I also want to switch 
I'm going to switch topics here. Um, I think we could probably talk right turtles for a long time because I'm a turtle guy too. But one of the things we also have in common is a love for the ajalote, which, oh, yeah. <laughs> which, or is uh, more commonly referred to as the bipes lizards or the mole lizards, which uh, the genus is bipes. And these are animals that are found down on the Baja Peninsula and I think also on the mainland of Mexico in a small pocket. Right. And you and I both have had the experience and pleasure of uh, finding bipes. And you actually have a small group of bipes that, that uh, you have that were collected with a under permit for research purposes. And thought we'd talk a little bit about that. Yeah, let's do. I uh I first saw those animals in Archie Carr's Time Life book, The Reptiles. Yes. And uh, I remember I was 10 years old and I saw them. I just thought, oh, that is the weirdest look, looking thing in this entire book. And uh, what a curious looking animal. It didn't fit anything in my my childhood mind. You know, it, just, it just stood out so much. Ring, not entirely ringed. It has a, a ringed appearance to its body, but rather worm-like in appearance. A couple of hands. And uh, just this goofy face, you know, and when I, bipes were something that, that I was just always curious about and interested in. And uh, the other part of it, too, is that for anybody younger than us listening, which is probably going to be most people, <laughs> yeah. we didn't have all of the access to like just Google, you know. And so some there were some things that were like lingering mysteries for a while. And when I was in the zoo field, I got laughed at quite a bit at both zoos, Fort Worth and Dallas for mentioning that I was interested in working with them. Of course, the uh, laws in Mexico were rather restrictive. And it wasn't until about the year 2000, uh, my wife and I, we made a drive down to Baja, California for the SSAR meeting that was going on down there. And we, I met some folks that have since been old, or long old friends of mine, and uh, had the first bipes experience. And and one thing about these animals, I'll just go ahead and address is that because I'm sure there's some like uh, snickering troll out there <laughs> just waiting on this topic to come up. But they do have a rather unique appearance. And uh, there's a there's a there's a uh, an urban myth that surrounds them. And uh, it's basically if if you are not uh, fully dressed and you're sitting on the ground or say you're answering a call of nature or something and in a vulnerable way that. Their only purpose in life is to enter you by the most unspeakable means, <laughs> whereupon they'll use their their claws to inflict savage damage to your innards. And that that myth right there, my wife is Mexican, and I told her about it, and she she got mad at me. <laughs> she said, you know what, that's stupid. Who in the world believes it? Well, we were in town, and I just started going up and asking folks, you know, about them. And... One of the first people I asked was an older man, and uh, he told me, he said, hey, son, you better watch it, boy. There are ladies present. You don't talk about those things. And so my wife thought, what? Then we went driving out into the country, and I saw a group of cowboys, and I had my Peterson Series field guide. And on the page that has the uh, mole lizard on it, and I, I pulled up to him, and I said, uh, Introduce myself and everything. And hey, I'm a biologist uh, from Texas and I'm studying reptiles. And I, have you seen any of these? I'm looking for these. And these guys were on horseback and they rode around to the front of the car and they come back to us and they said, Oh man, you sick pervert. 
Why would you? You drove all the way from Texas just to just to. Oh man, no! <laughs> and and so my wife started laughing. They looked at the car, and one takes his cowboy hat off, and he go, he covers his heart, and he said, "Oh, not you! You're Mexican. You should know better." <laughs> and so we got about we got about ten miles down the road, and uh, I thought, okay, I'm gonna try it one more time. And I asked this young fellow walking on the side of the highway and he backs up from the car and he said, Mr. We're nothing but good people here in this village. And my uncle called me and told me you were on your way. (laughs) (laughs) So I I got back and and my friend that my friend that had a serpentarium in La Paz had told me to go out to this place where I was on this goose chase looking for pipes. I came back empty handed. And he said, tell you what, look for this man named Ramses Cortez. And I said, well, where does he live? Oh, well, here's the block that he lives in. What? So here I am, you know, white boy driving around in Mexico and driving around this block. And I keep seeing, you know, groups of guys sitting out, hanging out together or whatever and stuff, enjoying beer and all. And I I just thought, what could go wrong? So uh, howdy, guys. I'm looking for, for, for Ramses Cortez. Ah, get out of here. I don't know that guy. You know, what do you want, gringo? So then finally got around to one stop. I said, hey, I'm looking for Ramses Cortez. Do you guys know him? And everyone said, no, uh-uh. And one guy raised his hand and he said, I know him. He is me. <laughs> and I said, great. And it was about one o'clock in the morning. And he goes, what do you want? And I said, man, I want to look for bipedes. And he goes, all right, let's go. I'll show you where they're at. And uh, at that time, he, he saw me with a shovel. And he goes, uh-uh, 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 put that thing away. You're not going to be cutting any of these, any of them in half. And I said, well, well how are we going to find them? He goes, well, he takes me to a junkyard, an auto salvage yard. And he goes, you see that 91 eclipse over there? About 4 o'clock in the morning, they like to crawl underneath that eclipse. I don't know why, but they like getting into that eclipse. And I said, well, I don't want to wait. He's like, no, we'll find them. So we just started turning pieces of concrete and rock in the yard. And that's how I found my first wow. And then I uh, wrote a few articles about them uh, for the local Herp Society. And that was put online. And then about in 2004, 2005, a Japanese film crew contacted me and said, hey, we want to do a... They lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> they told me it was going to be for a documentary about bipedes. And then it wound up being a segment on a Japanese game oh. show. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah. And this was featured bipedes. So, <laughs> and I don't have, and, 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 and I have an aunt who is Japanese and I got her to watch it for me. And I said, what are they saying? <laughs> and she was, she goes, Oh no, Carl, you a good boy. <laughs> and I, <laughs> so I don't know what they were saying on that show. I have an so idea. It just wasn't a Mexican but, uh, thing. It was, it was. Well, the 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 Japanese the Japanese learned about the myth. They learned about the myth, and so they obviously spilled the beans on the uh, show. But yeah, that was an experience working with those guys. Did another show for a fellow named Nick Baker. Had a bunch of cool natural history shows on Animal Planet for a while, and then. Uh, but yeah, collecting them and getting them back. Uh, that was. That required one collecting permit from Mexico. And I had 
one because I was actively a part of a, a big study of Mexican herpetology going on at the time. And then it required Mexican export permit. So I had to make all of those arrangements like that several months ahead of the trip and went down. And the, uh, the, the officials there were very, very welcoming to the whole thing. And, you know, I had my paperwork in order and all, but it was either that or they felt sorry for this grown man that had this misplaced enthusiasm for these <laughs> things they didn't care about. The, the guy, the, the official with the rubber stamp, he asked me for a favor. He said, look, I'll let you collect as many as you can. And then Saturday evening before, because I left Sunday morning, I'll come over and I'll stamp it for you. But I have one favor to ask. Could you let my sons, my boys look at these animals? Absolutely. So we did that. Everything's all packed up. Everything's good to go. And I'm doing these connecting flights to get back to DFW. And the flight was late. And so I go to board my plane and they said, sir, your luggage is on that plane, but we can put you on this one. And I said, oh, no, this is a, a, a scientific emergency. I have to have those bags. I have them transferred, please. So they did. And meanwhile, they said, sir, we can get you on that flight, but you have to run. I used to be pretty fit. <laughs> and so I took off like O.J. Simpson. There's an old reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took off like uh, like a flash running through go. the airport. And uh, I actually ran through the uh, security screener thing without stopping. <laughs> and, and security was looking and the airport staff was behind me saying, just let him go. He's good. Let him go. <laughs> and a guy, a guy said, run to that door. Run to that door. I said, okay. And I'm, I'm trucking it. And they opened the door right to the tarmac. And the plane kind of taxied around a bit and dropped the stairs down for me. And I got on and everyone applauded. Whenever I got to Dallas, fish and wildlife agents were all there to greet me. And that was nuts. They, uh, they were there because they were so excited to get the chance to see some live bipeds. And uh, so, yeah, of course, you got to make the arrangements before you bring any materials back that are alive with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. But so the bipeds, it worked. Uh, I, I haven't been able to breed them. I've only got females. But uh, I, I've still got I've still got some that are alive, one that's been a captive for 11 years and the other for 10 years. And so I, I consider them, you know, to be rather hardy, long-lived animals. I will say this, the habitat destruction that's gone on out there, where I was collecting bipeds, was the same location where a fellow did a major landmark study on them. And the study he did, he was able to reference over 2,000 animals that he found in a pretty short amount of time. Hmm. They were just that abundant. And if you go to the places in Baja, California, the neighborhoods around the Serpentarium, those places are pretty new neighborhoods. About 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you'd go out at dusk, and just right before dark, you'd come back or right after dark, you look and there would be trails all over the sand where they would come up and come out and start uh, crawling across the surface. Uh, so there has been a, a lot of population growth out there. And for bipeds, that has been the biggest detriment to their, their, I tell you what, man, La Paz was a epicenter for bipeds by porous. And uh, so there, I, I haven't been back in, in about a decade. But that's that's if anybody's wanting to do anything to champion an animal in Mexico, it's got to be the coolest reptile down there. Man. <laughs> yeah, and looked for them several times. Um, and our, our first time, we were successful. We got them behind a abandoned hotel 
with the hotels one more I, I stay at that the hotel I stay okay. at. <laughs> and there's a bunch of trash in the back and uh, you know we're in the middle of a uh-huh. neighborhood and uh, we 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 got one. But uh, that that building has been since repurposed, and the back of it has now been cleaned up. All that trash and car parts, oh, and stuff. No. it's all cleaned up. So fortunately, I don't know if there's any lizards left there or not. But uh, well, I'll tell you this: when I was collecting them, the vast majority of the ones that I got were they they were emaciated. I, I went out and there had already been some uh, clearing of the habitat, and I could only imagine that their emaciated condition was because. All of the plant and vegetation material was gone. I found a number of them coming up onto the surface in the evening. But, Mike, it, their, their bodies were like almost like a tent of flesh draped over the vertebrae. Oh, my gosh. And uh, uh, for any listener out there that's ever seen a, an underfed snake or a, a very old sickly snake, a lot of these pipes uh, had that appearance too. So but uh, the ones that were, so I, I think that they, uh, they, and I'll tell you this, anybody wanting to give this a try out there, go ahead and do it. I don't see what this could hurt. If you're ever in La Paz and you're walking down the sidewalk and you see these little cleared areas in the sidewalk where they have like a palm tree or something growing out of it in the morning, if it looks like someone took their finger in the sand and did a wiggly line that's almost shaped like the letter Y or a T, there's a bipes that wow. lives there. Mess that up. Come back and check the next day, and it'll probably be. So I think that there's some that are trapped in these little tiny isolated uh, places. I don't know what type of future they have, but uh, I'm kind of hoping they're they're doing okay along the shore. I don't I don't know. Right, right, right. I do think that the places that weren't developed, but boy, that that honey spot of of La Paz has been compromised. Yeah. So that's that. Yeah. Fascinating creatures, though. They're just Absolutely. nothing on the planet <laughs> like those with those just a, a pair of hands, basically. Right, right, so right. It's, they're kind of freaky. But I knew we could, it would be a good thing to talk about because uh, we were both yeah. fascinated by them. So you spent time in Mexico doing survey work, and you've also done some some survey work in uh, Indonesia, right? You did some some work. I, yeah, I did a little bit of that. That was a, a grueling seven and a half week assignment. But uh, and and I'll tell you this: the the you know Indonesia is known for being a, a big mega supplier of the reptile trade. And what a lot of folks don't understand is that whenever you go in there to work scientifically. Boy, you get Shanghai on every corner, just about. And uh, the amount of rigmarole and paperwork and fees and fines and uh, everything, I had to be, I had to get a, we all had to get like a special visa to do the work in the country. We had, to, and we were partnered with the leading university there as well. But it was, it was, well, I tell you what, man, treating scientists like pinatas and the amount of work, the amount of money that the, think the first trip was around three quarters of a million dollars. And what folks don't understand about academic programs and financing like that is that the universities first take a big giant chunk of that money. And uh, so that's a that's a blow you have to deal with right there. I can't remember how much of that money was taken on that grant at that time. But uh, then we also uh, had to deal with all the operating over. Yeah, yeah. And some universities take 50, 60% of the grant. And so, boy, that really sucks. And then uh, 
you have the other red tape with the other university to deal with. But one thing that uh, we would always do is uh, we would support the other university's uh, students in the field, and uh, then we'd support their research and help them get bolstered and built up. That field work, uh, and I think I think all the subsequent Indonesia work that Eric Smith was working on as well, uh, easily uh, uh, is approaching around 400 new species. Wow, to be discovered. And and uh, I got to talk to him back in November, and he told me he said, "Man, I really uh, this is just whooping me all of this uh, the the rigor of Indonesia." But what kept him going was who else is going to go out there and be able to do the discoveries? And it's not a thing of send the gringo to do the job or you know the good old American flag thing. It's a it's a common sense thing where if you have the resources and you go out there. And you're able to work with the people in that country right. and and form those relationships. And then you help get them over. For example, with all the inter- international stuff that we would do, we would split the collections, all of the specimens collected. Half would go to their museum. Half would go to ours. Uh, the tissues were split. Also, the uh, for all the new species that were discovered, the holotypes or the name bearer of that species would remain in that country's Museum. So that's and and you know you wind up with just hundreds of publications coming out of all that work, and that's something that a lot of folks are unaware of. Well, that's really cool because it's it sort of eliminates what you would. I mean, we all know what cultural appropriation is, and it eliminates science scientific appropriation, right? Where you you go and it does haul uh, everything back to your to your university and leave those folks with uh, empty hands. Otherwise, right. Right. And so uh, it, it, uh, it, you know, if you're wanting to do something comprehensive like that, you can't, you can't effectively do it from the other side of the planet anyway. Right. Uh, having, having cohorts and stuff along with it is, is really the only way to go. With right. It. And then you form, you end up forming long lasting relationships with, you know, people that are far away, but not, not so far away. Now. Yes and no. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean pres- present viral environment accepted. <laughs> you know, but I tell you what, even, I tell you, even, even like, even like uh, getting to Jakarta, you know, you're looking at about 26 hours of travel, but boy, yeah. what would 26 hours of travel get you a hundred years ago? So true, true. Yeah, that's, that's true. And uh, boy, I, I can't wait to go back over there. I, I, Went to Malaysia uh, last year for, uh, I went to Asia last year for a month and uh, uh, boy, I can't wait to go back. It was just uh, fascinating. And I, if you're a researcher, the lure of finding, you know, there's, there's always people that are going to be attracted to the idea of finding new things, right? Describing new species yeah. and, and things like that, or, you know, there's always going to be that attraction for, uh, for some people. So. Uh, and that's something that got me a, that really blew up my interest in herpetology was that, and I, I don't know to what extent this is with younger enthusiasts, but I used to uh, kind of consider, you know, a field guide or something when I was a kid, that's the information. And uh, uh, whenever I started finding out about new things being described from Central America, from Mexico, so forth, just knowing that there's still things out there to be found yes. is a real exciting thing. And for anybody wanting to do that, start looking into going into high altitude forests. Yes, um, and uh, uh, to see where you have more uh, things in the way of unique species, you won't find as many animals as you do on the basin right. or at low elevation. 
chances are for something new. Well, last year I I herped, uh, and earlier this year too, I've herped at a number of places at about 1,500 meters. And uh, I I think I could just spend the rest of my herping time at 1,500 meters because it's quite pleasant, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We we would do that and then up. So, yeah, it was uh, the highest I did was 3,300. And that whooped me, man. It was. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> that was that was that was work. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, I went to Ecuador with a bunch of guys from Denver, and and so we're you know we're up in Mendo area. We're climbing mountains and around Mendo, and I'm a flatlander. These guys have got a five thousand foot lung, and you know their lungs are already at a five thousand foot uh, advantage over yeah. me, and so you know I'm I'm wheezing like an old locomotive and. They're just sort of, you know, <laughs> prancing up the trail. But that's cool. You got to go to Mendo, man. I haven't, I haven't been there. Yeah. I've been to a, a number of places in Ecuador, but uh, not, not, not Mendo. That was a, a good introduction to the country there. That was my first trip. It is, and, and I, 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 I've always enjoyed Ecuador. And if anybody's wanting to go to a place where you can meet people and stuff that that like their herps, there's a lot of good places there. Right there in Quito, I've, I was fortunate to be invited to the the herpetology congress that they held down there in november and had a blast and one of the questions that you know and there's there's a proportionately i think equal number of people who like these animals there as are here but a lot of people here are very unaware that the attitude towards herpetoculture is nowhere like it is in this country the uh a question that I got after I gave a, a presentation was, uh, is the pet trade ruining the herpetofaunal, you know, the herpetofauna of the United States? And uh, then uh, I explained to them about how a lot of the stuff in the business these days is captive bred and so forth. But then I got several questions that were, well, if why do people need to own them if they like them? Why aren't they doing more to protect the environment and such? And so... It was a uh, it was a yeah. it was a very very unique experience to be able to have have those discussions, right? And so, uh, and, and and you know, I, I think they're just what they are. Either they're, they're their own merit, but uh, completely different apples and oranges. You know, we don't have uh, the diversity of the Amazon or a place like Mindo, perhaps that could be that sensitive here in the United States. And so, yeah, just different. But Ecuador, get there. Yeah, the food too, man. If nothing else, for the food. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, we ate rather well. Uh, really, I really enjoyed. It. I can't wait to go back. So, I don't know. Maybe next year we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, uh, but you and I have also been to the same place in Peru. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's still there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's still there, and um, you know, I, it's a big kind of becoming a running joke on this on this podcast that there's never an episode where we don't talk about Peru. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) uh, Here we are talking about it again, but you have been to the same field stations that, uh, that uh, I go to and you had been there uh, back before my time, before I became a tour guide and became, uh, you know, a happiness fairy for herp tourists. Uh, But you had been there. I published, I published the herp list for the place. Yes. And uh, we did a, I was with Dallas Zoo and it was in 97 and 98, we went out there and, and we were doing herp inventory of uh, that, that location. I remember it was, 
after the second year, our species our species count was uh, around 130. Ah. And so yeah. every night going out on those trails in that in that one little place, 20 to 30 species of herps every night, you know, and what a bonanza type of thing. And 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 we got a mutual friend too, Lori Smith. Yes. And I'll give I'll give Lori a shout out. Lori and I met, we first met going to Peru. Happened to just <laughs> be there. And uh as you know, the indigenous folks out there, there's there's not really a 7-Eleven or a need for currency. So bartering and trading. Yes. And uh they would come by and bring us all kinds of animals and stuff. And for, and what we would do is we'd, we'd record data on them and photograph them and, all, and release them. But, uh, you know, caiman lizards, adult caiman lizards. I love to brag that I scored an adult caiman lizard one time for two used these batteries. <laughs> Still had a little bit <laughs> and, of juice left. Though. Yeah, yeah. We were changing batteries every night. But uh, then uh, went to the local village. And was talking to the chief about uh, turtles. And I asked the chief if he happened to have any turtles I could have. And he laughed at me and said, no. Well, what am I going to put in my soup? And I said, well, would you trade for some fish hooks? No. Would you want some uh, tobacco? No. What about some baseball caps? He didn't want nothing until Lori said, hey, see if he'll take these cosmetics. (laughs) And Lori had dropped... These little tiny samples of Avon and uh, Revlon, whatever, lipstick and mascara. And I, I asked the chief, I said, well, hey, and, 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 and the ladies there are not without their charm. But uh, I, <laughs> I told the chief, hey, man, you know, you've seen these, these ladies with the, the real pretty colors over their eyes and bright red lips and stuff. And, and he said, yeah. And I said, well, I have some of that. And if you want to trade for the turtles and. He said something to some kids, and next thing I know, he said, "Wait right here." And these these children came running with 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 all these turtles tied to strings. <laughs> and so, <laughs> if you wanna if you wanna get a guy's turtles, get some cosmetics he can give to his wife or girlfriend. <laughs> oh man, all this time they're hard to come by the Amazon, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> All this time I've been bringing t-shirts and ball caps to trade. And right, right. You're going to get cane toes yeah. to trade for with that. Yeah, I should have been bringing Maybelline or something, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> next time. Next time. Tell Lori. That's funny. That's funny. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, shout out to Lori, too. I, I enjoy her company. And and, uh, and she was always the... Uh, the person uh, we're talking about our Madre Salva field station there, uh, but she was always the the person who made everything run smoothly. And, uh, and she yeah. could, uh, she spoke Spanish. She speaks Spanish very well and had a nice rapport with all the local people. And right. uh, it was just, it was fun. It's always been fun just to see her in action with uh, interacting with those people. And she does a pretty good job. So, and uh, don't bring your muddy boots into the <laughs> field station. She didn't like that much either, but uh <laughs> right <laughs> yeah <clears throat> but it's amazing when i found out it's like oh man how i didn't know you had been to the same place and and um i think it's kind of funny because it's kind of a small world sometimes you know that um the two of us have been to the same hotel <laughs> in la paz yeah to the same field station in peru and it's just kind of a, a an odd small world sometimes but uh 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you don't have uh, much foreign field work to, coming up. You're you're going to be working in the states now for in Texas. For the, for that's right. Future. And so that's uh, yeah. We've been uh, we've been we've been active and hard at it. And so it's it's been a lot of fun. And and I tell you what, if you're able to do something and make a do something that leads to a, a discovery or more knowledge about something, then uh, that could really be rewarding. Yes. And uh, it, doesn't have, it doesn't have to be far away either. I really, really, really got to tell you, man, it's been so satisfying to do stuff here in Texas. Yeah. And so the, I'll tell you this, the one aquatic species that uh, we really have the hardest time getting our hands on and uh, finding in the field are Western chicken turtles. Ah. And uh, that's something that's, that's kind of disappeared throughout a lot of its range in Texas. There's been some folks down at uh, Texas A&M that have been working on some survey work out there. Uh, or, or, I'm sorry, they've been working on survey work in the field, looking for chicken turtles. But uh, uh, that's one right there that it's uh, talk about wanting to get a handle on it and figure out what's going on with these animals. And, you know, sometimes people might wonder, well, why is study things that are common? And because they are. And they're there. Uh, you don't want it to be a thing where uh, we've had it too many times where the common things are just kind of taken for granted because they're common. And uh, then we lose. Right. Them. It's that old keeping common species common thing. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, chicken turtles have that disadvantage. I mean, in, in terms of interaction with human activity that you know, because they travel overland, you know, they're not tied to a pond like a slider. They're you know they're rambling about like a wood turtle would, or a blanding turtle. Yeah. So, uh, so they have, uh, and, and you know, they also have in some parts of their range, they uh, they might live to be about seven years old, and uh, that, that's not very long lived for a turtle. So they've got among the amided turtles, they've got a rather uh, short lifespan, and they're they're specialists with ephemeral pools of water. So we don't really have that much knowledge of their natural history and ecology here in Texas. In other states where they've been studied more extensively, uh, they're known to go through a period of real rapid growth, and they their life cycle depends upon those ephemeral pools in forested areas, and they'll spend a good amount of time underground as well. Oh, really? So, hmm. yeah, and there's there's plenty for any intrepid person wanting to, to uh, uh, try something new with herpetology or turtle biology to uh, explore you know, looking into chicken turtles. Yeah. Yeah. I have not seen a chicken turtle yet. That's a, I'm i I've only encountered a few of them. That's it. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, I really want to find more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, They're very intriguing to always have been like, you know, the story, see it in the field guy when you're a kid and you're like, yeah, yeah. I want to find that. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So one of these days, I'll I know the story about seeing it as a kid, seeing it in my twenties, my thirties, my forties, <laughs> and uh, thinking, "Yeah, I want to see that." Yeah, yeah. So and some, you know, yeah. I've been knocking off a few of those. I knocked off five map turtle species this year in good. Uh, Mississippi and uh, Alabama, and uh, including uh, got some real good close-ups of black knob sawbacks. And uh, so that that made me happy. That was like a check, big check mark in the old field guide, you know. The thing that's frustrating about those states is that there's a lot of water, but there's hardly a good shoulder in in many places to pull over. 
to get a look at the river yeah. and the water from the road. Yeah. That's, that, that's something here in Texas that we've got, uh, usually have really good shoulders where we can do that and, and take time to inspect, uh, the river crossings and so forth and get good access to the water. But definitely Alabama, Mississippi are good places for diversity, especially Alabama. So yeah, well, I just find the whole Graptemis thing to be such an intriguing genus. You know, every, every river yeah. system's got their own species and, there are this relationship with the uh, diamondback terrapins. You know, genetically, they have, I think they're considered a sister species. To, a sister taxa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, so they're fascinating creatures to me. And uh, I kind of, yeah, like I had the problem where I have to find a place to park and then hump it back to the river's edge and crawl on your hands <laughs> and knees to try to sneak up on these things with a long lens and, and get a picture of them and get them a we pull over and we got reflective vests on and everything and stuff. And so I had a highway, a couple of highway patrol pull over one time and look at us doing it and then they just drive off. So <laughs> at least we look like we're visible. And uh, I guess if you're up to, to nothing good, you wouldn't want to be making yourself visible. So that's some of the advantage of doing turtle work. And I'll tell you this, man, I used to do, I don't know how many thousands of miles on road crews. But anybody wanting to know about another advantage of doing turtle work is that people like that work with those reptiles. <laughs> if you go out to West Texas and you want to get land access, people will often say, are you one of those snake hunters? And uh, I remember one time I went to Langtree, Texas. I wanted to get to see the river. And I asked a lady at a store. I said, hey, do you know how I can get back over there? And she said, are you one of those snake hunters? And I said, no, ma'am. I, I, I study turtles. Oh. Well, the gate's not locked. Close it whenever you go through, and uh, uh, good luck. You know? awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so it, it's been good that way. Yeah. Uh, so the door the door is open for the turtle people still. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Usually it is. People people like turtles in general. Those dang old snake hunters, man. They, you know. <laughs> yeah, driving around late at night. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of stories about that in Texas. So <laughs> maybe that's for another show. But uh yeah. Uh, yeah, plenty of show material there. I need to come down to Texas and sneak up on some uh uh map turtles there too. I've got a few left to get. In fact they don't Which ones you got left? Well I need Kegley Kegley and I need uh I need the Sabine. And the Texas uh -huh. map, so I need uh, at least those three. It is possible. It's geographically possible for us to satisfy that request in one day. Holy cow. But it's it, uh, George Heinrich was doing a uh, project with, uh, he does a lot with Florida turtles. And uh, name, yeah. he was doing the big, the big turtle year. And uh, he made it a point to see every species of North American turtle in one year. And so he came down to Texas and we went out and uh, that's where I figured out that you could do that if you really push yourself. But uh, yeah, in a day or two, you could knock out those species and some. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll be in touch. <laughs> Maybe next year I'll get down there and, and uh, try to knock those off. So I, I, I like just sitting there on the bank with the glasses on them too. Just, uh, just watch them. You know, it, it may not yeah, do much, yeah, but it's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, you know, with some of the stuff that gets you thinking, uh, there's been a lot of recent uh, study involving communication of turtles. Yeah. And with turtle vocalizations and so forth. And if you if you watch turtles all 
collectively jump off a log together. Oftentimes, you'll see them all come back around the same time. If you watch a turtle 200 yards or, or farther away swimming down the river, it's, and, and there's other, others of its species on that log out there basking, he either sees them or hears them, but they just go directly right to it. And so you can't, you can't knock out the, the, the notion that there's some keen communication that's going on out there. And then, of course, watching them like that with, with, uh, with a scope and all, just seeing how uncomfortable they seem whenever they're basking. They just seem like they're itching in every spot and they're trying to get to it. And Viviana shot some video the other day of a map turtle that had a spider crawling across the tip of its nose. And it would go and scratch the nose, but the spider would move to the head, then go back to the nose, and it just kept tormenting the turtle. And uh, so, so, yeah, I think that they there's, there's a lot that goes on like that. And uh, the collective protection they get while basking as well. All these eyes pointed in different directions, yes. you know. Yes. So, and in the in the early part of the season, you go out, you'll find lots of babies of different species just sitting out on the tips of branches that are in the water and such, and and shorelines and whatnot like that, and 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 they're just so oblivious and 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 just dumb. <laughs> and yeah. they we're able to just walk up a lot of times while surveying in and catch them. It's no wonder that. Uh, so few make it to adulthood. Right. But then also, if you spend your, if you're the one out of the clutch that lives, you know, maybe you've seen your brethren, your brothers, your sisters get picked off when that shadow comes overhead or something. And uh, that, I think, is what goes into them being so flighty as adults, obviously. But, yeah. Uh, if you don't learn those lessons, you know, yeah. you're, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I wonder about that too, because, you know, it's uh, obviously, I mean, we probably could figure out what the survival rate is for one year, two years, three years. But uh, obviously, by the time they reach adulthood, the ones you're looking at are the the only one in the clutch, right? Uh, chances are, yeah, more than you know, likely, any adult yeah. turtle you see, that's that's the one that made it. Maybe maybe there's another one, but who, you know, chances are, yeah. I I, I usually think of them as uh, 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 family groups often, but a lot of like you know uncles and and aunts and cousins and uh, as uh, and such uh, as opposed to just uh, siblings. Yeah, it's the big turtle clan. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> do you do you think there's some subaqueous communication going on there? Uh, yeah, I do. Just based on the uh, on the, the 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 research that has been done before using uh, hydrophones. Yes. And actually recording the communication. Oh. There was some stuff done in Brazil with uh, Critter Cam that was on Amazon River Turtles. And the, uh, the footage uh, showed them opening their mouths and talking to each other underwater. Oh, wow. And uh, even females going off and then babies swimming up and swimming alongside the females as they go off. And yeah, there's, there's got to be all kinds of cues that they use like that. The the vocalizations they make are on a subsonic frequency, ah. so it's, we can't hear it. Uh, they they sound like tiny farts. <laughs> is is the best way to uh, to general a subsonic subsonic, subsonic farts. farts. Okay, awesome. yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the name of my next band. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll buy that CD. Uh. <laughs> Play it loud. <laughs> yeah. 
It's the only, the only ones in your house that can hear it are your pet turtles. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! Well, I, I know they. Uh, I know they communicate nest in in the egg. Even uh, they they chirp at each yeah. other and stuff. So uh, I don't know what they're saying to each other. But, yeah. Uh, but there, it's uh, obviously there's a just a, a level of socialization there that's deeper than we ever thought. Right. You know? Right. And we're, we're seeing that with, uh, uh, and, and, you know, it's coming across with, with lots of reptiles, not just, not just the reptiles in the zenith of reptilian evolution, the turtles, uh, but uh, snakes and lizards. And there is a new book coming out. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called The Social Lives of Reptiles. Yeah, I'm looking forward and that's to that. that come out next year. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw somebody post something about that this week, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading that. So. Oh yeah. yeah, that looks cool. That's what I, that's what I call deep dive material. You get into you know you you're you're not scratching the surface. You're getting into some deep stuff there. So looking forward to that. Hopefully, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I am I I uh, I appreciate you coming on the show and talking to me, and I feel like we well, could probably talk for about six more hours, but uh, <laughs> at some point, I'm I'm I'm. Glad you got to talk to me, and I'm <laughs> delighted you had a wonderful time. And <laughs> and, I'm, uh, and, and I want to thank you for having me. First of all, actually, thrilled to be able to discuss this stuff uh, with let's folks. And your, glad to be a part of your organization show. a little bit too, right? Um, let's plug the organization: TexasTurtles.org. Correct. And That's you right. Are wearing the coolest herp shirt that I own. Is the is the shirt you're wearing, which has the big alligator snapper on it and Texas Turtles logo, and it's just uh, awesome. And uh, folks can uh, we're really lucky. Dave Kilpack did the artwork for the yeah. shirt, and a renowned natural history illustrator and scientific illustrator, and co-author of the box turtle yes. book. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that's that's who gets the credit for the cool design, and we're just lucky that uh, he was generous enough to do the artwork for us. But uh, yeah, the t-shirts are great. They're really cool. They'll impress your friends and your family and they're available. If you go to texasturtles.org, you can go to our shop part of the website, uh, the merchandise part and order your shirt. And out of the purchase that you do, there's there's an amount of the price that I think is 28 bucks uh, gets it sent to your home. And aside from the cost of the shirt being printed, and the uh, shipping, all of the rest of the proceeds go directly towards turtle research. To your nonprofit so, organization, correct? That's right. That's right. And that helps us with all types of things from uh, even if it's gasoline to uh, supplies, if we need to purchase new transponders or anything at right. all, we can do that. And uh, while still allowing folks to add a cool couture to their closet. I tell you. So... <laughs> I can't. And I thank you for liking the shirt, uh-huh. Mike. <laughs> I can't wait to. I'm going to be speaking to the uh, Hoosier Herp Society this month over in Indianapolis. So I'm going to wear my Texas turtle wow. shirt over there because I know I'll be the only one with the coolest shirt. And, uh, you know, we got <laughs> that's that's part of that. Like you say, Herp, herp couture, couture, couture. And uh, right. with the coolest shirt wins. So. I may win that day. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I got the shirt and I also got a couple little uh, stickers with the same logo on them. And that just put me over right. the top because I'm a big sticker guy. I'm still eight years old inside, you know, 
and I like stickers. So, so I put one of those on my laptop. It's something that, uh, you know, yeah, this, glad you like that. We, uh, we, we typically throw a couple of stickers in there on the, the, the shirt orders and we're, we're really, really appreciative of all the support that we've gotten from folks. And, uh, uh, it, it means everything to us. And so, uh, you know, yeah, some stickers is, uh, I guess just the smallest token we could provide as added appreciation for the support. Yeah. Well, I make sure that I'll put the link on our show notes too. And, and, uh, I'll make sure we get folks to go over and visit and, uh, pick themselves up a shirt and support the organization because, uh, we really we need to keep the turtles going in Texas and elsewhere. And uh, snapper turtles are cool. Alligator snappers are even cooler. So they are, and you can carjack some of them. So <laughs> some of them can leave the ground. <laughs> That's right. They all can. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knew? Who knew? Crazy stuff. Well, thanks again, Carl. Really appreciate it, and. Uh, Hopefully we can talk again sometime. And, you know, I, I really enjoy Anytime I, I get to talk to you, I enjoy it. So hopefully in the future, we'll get a meet in person again somewhere, sometime, someplace. Yeah, man. Let's, hopefully all this stuff settles down and we'll be able to do that again and stuff. These podcasts are cool, but something about being in that room full of wall-to-wall nerds. Yeah. That's also really yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy I miss that. I miss that a lot. So uh, we all do. So. Well, thank you again, sir. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thank everybody out there for listening. And y'all have a good one. Well, that's it for episode 23. I really enjoyed my conversation with Carl, and I'm sure you can tell that. Thanks a bunch, Carl, for coming on the show. And I look forward to having another conversation with you. And folks, be sure to check out texasturtles.org. And if you can, help that group out and get yourself a cool t-shirt in the bargain. And folks, once again, thank you all for the comments and the suggestions and the funny memes and just your overall support for the show. I really appreciate it and I love hearing from y'all. And just a couple more things before I go. You can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at somuchpingle.com. And you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group. You can also email me directly at somuchpingle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And in the meantime, I want you to please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better.